Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. Now, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, live from Atlanta, here's John Kanzano with the Baldfaced Truth. I'm in Atlanta where Oregon and Georgia will be playing on Saturday. Big football game, the Chick-fil-A game. Uh, Marcus Mariota is an honorary captain, setting the stage for you from Atlanta. But one of the biggest games in the Pac-12 footprint will be taking place on Saturday night at Research Stadium in Corvallis. It'll be Boise State against Oregon State. Here to talk about it, Jonathan Smith, football coach, Oregon State. You ready for this? Yeah, we got a day or two left here. We'll use every day we can to get ready. I know our guys are excited. Uh, it's been a long time coming. You know, you put so much work into the off season and obviously training camp, and now the the game right in front of us. We're excited about it, but I definitely want to put the final details on things and, and be ready to go Saturday night. We want to talk about your offense, but let's start with the defense because everybody who's going to practice is coming out of practice going, man, they're better on defense, they're bigger on defense. What are they talking about? What do you see on defense? Well, I think we are. You know, we are better. Um, and, again, saying that, we've got to go prove it. But we're longer. Our secondary experience, guys continue to change their body. I think we're more physical at the D-line position, uh, veteran at linebacker. Um, and so, you know, again, get credit to those guys, the development, the work they put, they put in. we just got a lot of experience there that counting on those guys uh, playing at a high level. The experience that you have, you know, where is it most beneficial? Is it beneficial in the secondary? Is it beneficial all over the place? Is that a dumb question? Like, where does it, well, when yeah, you get that experience? I, I think it is, you know, of course, across the board, but in particular the secondary. I mean, there's so many different concepts, formations, um, adjustments in the secondary, and having veterans back there that have played a lot of football together, uh, being on the same page. Because uh, let's face it, when the secondary makes mistakes, it turns into six points. Oftentimes, D-line makes mistakes, uh, you know, a run for a gain of 12. So I think that there should be some benefit those guys in the back end. They've been competing. we got depth um, and trying to keep the explosive plays to a minimum. You guys uh, in week one, you know, we're all going to expect you to run the football on offense. But, you know, how have you looked running the ball in camp? Do you feel like the offensive line and the backs, you know, everything looked good to you? You know, I think there was, yeah, it, it, where we are now, where it started, you know, it always takes the offense a little bit to, to gel and things. We, I do feel confident with this O-line we can stay healthy, that we can play at a high level. Uh, again, we've got a few backs that we think are, uh, are pretty good and be able to run the ball. I know we'll run it more effectively if we can be pretty effective in the pass game. Looking for that balance, looking for some explosive plays. We've got some speed at receiver. I think chance has improved in regards to that deep ball. And, again, you're not going to hit every single one. You throw 50 yards. But we, we hit for a higher clip to help out this run game. We've got a chance. Yeah, I think, you know, we all think of Boise State. We respect Boise State. We've seen what they've done nationally. What do you see on film as you look at them last year under Andy Avalos? Yeah, I think it's a physical group on both sides. Uh, you know, defensively, very sound. They're veteran. They've got a lot of, you know, they 
came out with their two deep Monday. A lot of you know, six-year seniors, a lot of seniors on defense, good players. they got a couple safeties that are going to get drafted. What I see on tape, they got D-linemen that's affected the game, 99, and getting in the backfield. And so, and that's been Boise for a long time. They played really, really good defense, but they did last year. They got a veteran quarterback who's thrown it a bunch, four-year starter, smart, accurate. Um, and now they feel like a running back who played a little bit last year. It was a really good player. It was banged up. He's completely healthy. So we we got, we got a challenge there. Quarterback that's smart and accurate. They can run the ball. Veteran O-line. Um, this will be a, a great challenge, which Boise's been for years. What did going 6-0 and at home and seeing that home crowd last year mean to you guys? And, you know, this season with the 26,407 seats available. How important is it going to be to get your Beaver fans in the stadium? Yeah, we need to play well at home. We need the home field advantage to to be a big factor again. Um, and I think it will. Uh, you think about every seat taken, and yeah, we're only two-thirds of a stadium whatnot, but that'll still be great energy. Uh, I know our players feed off of it. We've got the brand-new Jumbotron, the experience, seeing the construction going. Um, it's going to be an awesome atmosphere, and, and we're counting on Beaver Nation to continue to help us so we can play really well at home. Have you seen the Jumbotron? Like, are you guys sitting around watching Netflix in there after practice? Or what's that look like? <laughs> well, I think it's been reported, so I'll say it. I think the thing just got completed literally yeah. the middle of the week here. I have not seen it turned on a couple uh, supply chain delays yeah. or whatnot, <laughs> but it is complete. I'm staring at it right now from my office, but I have yet to see it turned on. Maybe we'll just wait till Saturday night to see it for the first time. It's interesting to see you guys. You know, you're a favorite in this game. You've earned that. You had a nice season last year. Everybody wants to see you build on it, but, you know, your week one, week two opponents are not easy. These are these are two teams that can beat Pac-12 teams. Um, you know, what do you need from Chance Nolan in game one, week one this season? Yeah, we I talked about the passing game uh, already. You know, to make smart decisions with it, extend plays. Again, you know our aggression on third, fourth downs. Going to count on him in, in that way. Um, and so, look, he doesn't have to flat out win the game by himself, but he's got to put us in a great position in the fourth quarter to be right around it and win the game in the fourth quarter. Jonathan Smith with us, Oregon State football coach. Uh, your wide receiver group, uh, we talk about the running backs all the time in the offensive line because you guys run the ball so well, but you know, you've got some receivers that maybe some new names out there. Who, who will we see on Saturday night? Yeah, I think that you know, a couple of familiar names, Treshawn Harrison, Anthony Gould, Tyjon Lindsey, all of them had really good camps, especially Gould making plays. A newer name would be Silas Bolden, as he's had a great spring and fall camp, the guy can run. You're going to see a good amount of him. Josiah Irish has taken another step in his game. You'll see him out at, at receiver, along with a couple new names at tight end. You know, Luke Musgrave, uh, obviously he's got a skill set, and, and we want to get him the ball some ways. But Jake Overman getting in there, you'll see a little bit of Coletto like we were doing the last half of the season, not just that wildcat quarterback. Um, so we feel like we've got some versatility, change the personnel groups in and out, and then and look for some balance. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, you guys – you, you were so good at home last year, and the, it feels like this progression you need to make this year is to get on the road and win. What was the difference in those things? Because you beat Utah at home, and then you go to Colorado and you go to Cal, maybe some teams that you should have beaten didn't play as well. What needs to happen? Yeah, we've talked a lot about it as a team. And, again, what we did last year, uh, we got to learn from it, right? It doesn't mean we're going to play great at home and be average on the road. we got to learn from things, why we had success at home, why we didn't on the road in quite a few games. Uh, but each year is new. You know, looking at Boise, they, they had four huge road wins last year. So, uh, But that was last year. 
again, we're going to take it one game at a time. We're focused in on a, a home game here. And then, yeah, we go on a road game next week to Fresno, who's picked to be as good as anybody. Um, and so it's two legitimate challenges to start the season, which I think will get us ready for a Pac-12 play. Health-wise, how are you guys? Pretty solid. You know, as good coming out of fall camp as we've been. Yeah, we're going to miss a guy or two. Um, but knock on wood, we get there Saturday night. Um, we're we're pretty healthy. The all the conference talk has dominated, you know, my show and what I've been writing about. And you know, you're focused on the football. Has it been difficult to concentrate, or is it easy to tune that stuff out? Yeah, it's been a nice reprieve, honestly, to go <laughs> through the summer and all the you know, who, who knows what's happening type thing. You can get to early August, lock in with the team, practice, focus in on that. So it's been really a nice not a distraction, just be able to focus on what we what we guarantee know. we got 12 games on the schedule. We know our opponents, even for the next year, the same way. Uh, I haven't put a lot of a lot of thought into the other stuff. I, I think it's uh, it's been fun to see games and get to talk about games. You guys were such a, such a treat last year. Um, you know, I wonder, you know, when you took over this program, it was 1-11. There wasn't a lot there. You did what you could, but you're in a different place now. Is it more difficult now to sustain and make those incremental gains, you know, once you're a bowl team, you're a seven-win team, trying to get to 8, 9, 10? Or was the difficult climb trying to get to, like, three, four, five wins? <laughs> I think both ends of it are difficult. There was no question year one to year two. There was some difficulty to that, right, just finding some belief and being down at the bottom and, and – plugging away, chipping away, uh, working our way up. I do think it's pretty difficult now that the expectations are higher, which you want to have in your program. You want to have some excitement, expectation that you can play well, win more than half your games, win all your games type thing. And so we've kind of flipped the script around here, a little bit of the expectations higher, and now we're not sneaking up on anybody. I think uh, we've earned some respect, respect around, and we're going to have to bring our A game week in and week out to win. You got a guy on the outside that can kill a defense if they cheat up, try try to take away your short pass game, try to you know take your run game away. Do you have a do you have a flyer that you can throw out there and and punish somebody with? Yeah, I think we have a few guys that can you know take the top off the coverage to the way that Gould can go, Bolden can go, Treshawn Harrison can go, and we're going to need some of that man because again we plan on being effective in the run game. People are going to work to take that away, and that opens up some deep shots. Jonathan Smith, uh, I wish you the best. Uh, it's been fun to watch this program grow. Uh, good luck to you Saturday. Um, any message for Beaver Nation? Like for people who are clamoring for tickets out there, they may they may be able to find a couple here, a couple there. But what does it mean? Like again, what does it mean for you to look around that stadium on game day? Yeah, well, it, well number one, it helps, and so I, I I think this we appreciate the energy, people coming. And I'm pretty confident it's going to be a great atmosphere. Yeah, it's going to look a little different, unique with the stadium thing going, which I think is fun for one season. But you get two-thirds of the thing taking every seat. There'll be awesome energy, and it's going to help us. Jonathan Smith, thank you. Appreciate it, John. Fantastic stuff from Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach. I love that. They'll get Boise State at home. They're a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Oregon State is really important for them to start fast this season. They historically have not done that. It would be the first game one, week one win for Jonathan Smith. He'd be 1-0 for the first time in his coaching career at Oregon State if they can win this game. I want you to leave it here. I'm live from Atlanta. You got John Canzano and the bald-faced truth. You've got the home of the truth, the BFT with John Canzano, live from Atlanta on 750 The Game.
Well, I'm in Atlanta, so you're in Atlanta. I'm taking you with me. I'm in the studios in downtown Atlanta of 92.9 FM. They are the flagship for the Falcons and the Braves, and I visited with their radio show hosts earlier, and they wanted to know all about Oregon, Georgia, but they also wanted to know about Marcus Mariota. They didn't ask me any Dragon Con questions, but Anna's got the Dragon Con covered for people just tuning in. Uh, Dragon Con, basically a dragon convention going on in downtown Atlanta. About 60,000 people expected to attend that. Five full hotels, including the Hilton, all dragoned out. And people, uh, our, our Uber driver last night told us that we would see people sleeping in the park because that's what they do. There's no hotel rooms left available or maybe they're too expensive. And so the dragon people... Is that what we call them? Is it mean to call them the dragon people? I don't think so. I think they'll take it as a compliment. Yeah. We rode the elevator with a couple of dragon people. They looked exactly what you thought they would look like. Yeah. The dude was... Do you see what he's holding? Uh, what? Like a sword? No. You didn't see what was in his arms? No. What? He had enough alcohol... Oh, yeah. ...to <laughs> inebriate our whole crew. Yeah. He had like two cases of beer. He had a bottle of vodka. He had some flask sticking out of his pocket. He did, yeah. He and and then you asked him like, "Who's the most biggest celebrity you saw at Dragon Con today?" And he said, "Well, I didn't see William William Shatner, but I heard somebody say that the line to see William Shatner was really long, which really isn't." Like seeing William Shatner. No. It, it's <laughs> like, sort of you know? just being in the vague presence of William Shatner. I know. I was looking up, like, who are the meet and greets? And it's, like, uh, some of the actors from The Boys, which is a show on Amazon, like X-Men stars. Uh, I noticed The Walking Dead had a strong pr presence. Walking Dead. A couple of Game of Thrones, people that you didn't recognize, but then you went, oh, yeah, okay, I could see that they were in there. Morena Bakarin, I'm probably saying her name wrong, from Gotham and uh, The Flash and Deadpool. So kind of like B-list actors. Yeah. Why don't yeah. they just call it B-list con? No one would show up. <laughs> You know, plus William Shatner, James T. Kirk, Captain Kirk, the Enterprise. Uh, it's very entertaining, though. It's going to be great people watching for the next few days. Yeah, Let's I mean, just put it that way. I would grab a bench in downtown Atlanta, but it's about 90 degrees and it feels like a sauna out there. And if, by the way, if you're not used to that, I am not acclimated to that heat. I'm sure the people of Atlanta are like, what's the big deal? It's 90 yeah, it's a little warm, but I feel like I'm walking into an oven. Well, yeah, it's 75% humidity, so that's the difference. It's it's 90 in Portland today. You know, it's 90 in the Northwest, but it's it's not 70 to 75% humidity. So. I love, I heard you talking with somebody here at the station about the game, and I love that you didn't know that the game was being held indoors. <laughs> yeah, well... It's, I mean, it's at a stadium yeah. that has a dome. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's in, indoors. It's like air-conditioned. It's yeah. like being inside a shopping mall. Okay. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be a cool, balmy 72 inside there, you know. And, and that thing, you can't miss it as you come yeah. into Atlanta. I mean, it looks like a spaceship. It's it does cool. look like a spaceship. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool looking. Uh, we got the football covered. You have the... Dragon Con. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be on the Dragon Con beat. Uh, here's what the hosts on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta wanted to know. Steven, you're going to love this. They 
they wanted to talk Marcus Mariota. And guess what their biggest question was about Mariota? Um, I have no idea. They wanted to know. He's a really nice guy. He has a reputation of being a nice guy. He gives granola bars out to homeless people. He makes his bed in the morning. You know, he hears an ambulance or a, a fire truck. His parents told him as a kid, if you hear an ambulance siren, you say a prayer to yourself. Like he, you know, he's a nice human being. They wanted to know, is he a leader? You know, because mm. in an NFL locker room, is he a leader? Why is that so important? That was the same damn question that Justin Herbert got in the run-up to the draft. Yeah, is he too nice of a guy? Like, that that's a problem? I, I don't know. I don't understand that. He's a competitor, though. Don't you see Marcus Mariota as a competitor? Yeah, I mean, if you if you watch Oregon games throughout your career, I mean, you just know how competitive the guy is. Like, he out, he's out there, he's sacrificing his body for every yard, right? Like, he's not the type of guy that's just going to, you know, not try to run the ball or make a play. I, I never understood that whole narrative of uh, not being a leader, not being, you know, just because you're too quiet or too nice. It didn't make sense to me. I think that only becomes a thing if you don't have a ton of a success and only at that position for some reason. Like nobody's talking about like what a, you know, nice human being, uh, you know, the running back is. Nobody's talking like Charlie Garner, who was with the Raiders and the Eagles, played a long time in the NFL. Super nice guy. Had a reputation of being just a really nice person. Jerry Rice had the reputation of being a really nice person. But nobody questioned that because they weren't quarterbacks and Everybody's like, well, you could be a nice guy, you could be a wide receiver or running back, but you can't be a nice guy and be a quarterback. I think the issue has been Mariota's lack of, um, you know, widespread success. He had some, he had some success early on in Tennessee. Yeah, I, I think you know his numbers in the red zone were phenomenal. He, you know, his passer rating in the red zone as a young quarterback in Tennessee was amazing, and especially when you look at the five coordinators that he had in his time at Tennessee, the multiple. I think he had three different head coaches. Um, it was just a dysfunctional mess. It reminded me a little bit of the Oregon era as, you know, Mark Helfrich to Willie Taggart to Mario Cristobal. You know, I don't think Justin Herbert got enough credit at Oregon for being the quarterback of record while he played for three different head coaches and about five or six different coordinators and made it all look really easy. And so when the draft approached and Herbert was going to get picked, uh, you know, I kept, people kept asking me, is he a leader? He's quiet. Is he a leader? I look at him and I go, yeah, he can lead. I saw him lead, and I saw him lead when the you know the team around him was in chaos or the program was in chaos and the head coach was changing and he just kept winning and performing. Mariota, I think the, the big question for him, though, is are the Falcons committed to him beyond this season? We've talked about this before, and I think – I think it's just really important that he comes out of the gates and has three or four nice games to start the season. Yeah, I was going to ask you what like did you get a good sense of how they were feeling of him as a quarterback because we were talking about that like this may be his last real opportunity in the NFL to be a starting quarterback, but he is still young enough, right? Like yeah, he's, he's, still, he's still at that he's, age where he can get better. Twenty eight, twenty nine, right yeah, in there. Right, so, and so he, you know, he still yeah. has a chance to get better. Um, and a team could build with him. Did you get a good sense of? How the fans and how the you know the the market is feeling about Marcus Mariota in Atlanta? Mildly hopeful, but also, I think they're afraid to put their eggs in that basket yet. And so they were asking me the questions, and I could see that they were looking for me to get them enthusiastic about him. It wasn't like naturally, like you know, this isn't like getting Tom Brady, right? They're getting a guy that Tennessee didn't want. And it, by Atlanta standards, the guy that Tennessee didn't want isn't going to be good enough. So 
I I talk to them about the value of a quarterback sitting and watching. I think it's tremendously underrated in the NFL that uh, quarterbacks who have an opportunity to hold a clipboard for a season or even a half a season. I think it benefited Justin Herbert even to to not have to start his rookie season as the starter until that trainer put a needle in Tyrod Taylor's lungs and forced it, right? You know, yeah. I was about to throw up. What are you, what are you doing over there? Yeah. He I was think getting an injection. Has, I know, you just kind of casually say that. But but, but you I remember. Know, I know the story. Yeah, but in the run-up to Herbert's first season, the pressure was off of him. And then we didn't even know he was starting in that game because it was kind of a surprise. And then, hey, your kid, I, you know, I don't even think he knew he was starting. So there was no pressure. He just got to go out and play. And I think with Mariota, there is some pressure here because we know how fleeting those starting quarterback jobs are. And we know in this league so much of your success is predicated on, um, you know, the, the situation around you at the quarterback position. It's, it's not fair or not. That's how the league works. If Joe Montana is not drafted by the 49ers, doesn't have a chance to sit behind Steve DeBerg and wait and watch and wait for his time, I'm not sure he's Joe Montana. Like, if he goes to the Detroit Lions, maybe he's just another in the long succession of quarterbacks that did not succeed there. So, you know, by that same token, I think we've seen quarterbacks who get a second chance in this league succeed, including Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, I'm I'm hopeful because let's go back to Mario to being a nice guy. So much, he's so easy to root for. And I think there's a lot of people in the Pacific Northwest, Duck fan, Beaver fan, who are now tuned into Falcons going, I really hope the Falcons have a decent year. And, you know, they're not picked to be one of the best teams in the NFL. But can they have a decent year? I, I think it also brings up a larger point. Like, I thought it was an interesting question. Can Mariota lead? Because I think that there's room for different kinds of leaders, different styles of leadership. Like, if you look at Jonathan Smith, he's clearly a great leader for the Beavers. But he's not a yeller, as far as we can tell, right? Like, he has a quieter style of leadership that doesn't make him any less effective and so I just think there's room in sports and in business for all different kinds of leaders that don't necessarily have to be that outspoken. They don't have to be screamers and yellers and shouters. Go farther. Go deeper on that one. Because are you talking about game preparation leaders, uh, smart leadership versus rah-rah in the locker room leadership? Right. And I think like traditionally with sports, you know, if you look at let, let's just categorize Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers as leaders. What is their style? Are they rah-rah kind of leaders or are they more quiet uh, in terms of, hey, come with me, join me in this effort kind of leadership? Do you think Mariota has it in him, Stephen? Yeah, I do. And I think Anna's right. Like, it just kind of depends on who you are, right? Like, when I played, I didn't like to have coaches that just got in my face and yelled at me. Yeah, yeah, I had some, but I reacted fine to it. But it just wasn't my style. I think if you get the right players around him, that will be very – he can be very successful. And Arthur Smith, as his coach, knows his personality. So I think that adds to the helpfulness of this situation because he can bring in guys that he knows that, you know, he can say, look, Marcus isn't going to yell at you. He's not going to get after you. But he is going to lead you, right? And is that, if that's your style, you can come here into Atlanta, and we got no pressure on us right now. There's no one expecting much things out of out of this team. I think Mariota's in a good spot. I don't know that he's necessarily going to be super successful and is going to turn into a you know a franchise quarterback situation. But I think this is about the best situation he could ask for, uh, being that he has already 
you know, been, been in Tennessee and been let go, and then been in Las Vegas and let go as well. Yeah, because, you know, it also wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he had an opportunity to take over the Raiders. Like, they were sticking with Derek Carr. And, you know, I think his agent probably looked around last season. There wasn't a trade out there that he liked. He sat tight. He held the clipboard. He played a little bit in Vegas. But, you know, he, I think he had a year to kind of rest and look around and get healthy and figure out, you know, what kind of situation he really wanted. But it's not a perfect situation in Atlanta. And so much of quarterback success is predicated on, you know, the idea that, you know, you are you have the weapons around you and good quarterbacks take advantage of that. And I just think he needs um, that offensive line. The offensive line's a little shaky. Uh, you know, I think he's got great tight ends, including Kyle Pitts. Um, they need to find a running back. But if they can't run the ball and they can't protect the quarterback, he is dead in the water. It doesn't matter what kind of leader he is. Yeah, no doubt. The thing is, is he's you know he's tall, he's big, he's fast, he's got an arm. Like he's got everything you kind of want in a quarterback. So I think it's not that he needs help to get it out of him. I think it just needs to put in the right situation, like you said, John. And that's just what the NFL is: is a lot about situations. Can he do this in Atlanta? I don't know, but Arthur Smith, I think, is the coach that really knows his personality, knows his style of play, and should be able to put him in the right spots, which is all you could do as a coach, is put your players at the best spot to succeed. I think Marcus can do that, hopefully, in Atlanta. Uh, hopefully, it's well enough where he can continue to uh, get more contracts there. To play devil's advocate, though, I mean, aren't true leaders able to bring a team success almost regardless of the people that are in place, like true leaders are able to bring the best out of what they have and achieve victory despite, you know, the tools that are in place? To a certain extent, but if he's flat on his back every other play and they have no time to throw the football, I I think you're right in that true leaders elevate people around them and make the best of the situation around him. But I think you're asking too much of one player if you can't protect him or he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't have wide receivers to throw to. I'm looking at his wide receiver sta- stable and, you know, I I would challenge listeners like who aren't like knee deep in fantasy football world to name like more than one Atlanta Falcons receiver that he'll throw to or more than one running back. And to your point Anna about like Jonathan Smith being more of a you know, cerebral leader. Listen to this scene in the locker room last year. Remember when they they beat USC? They upset USC, uh, you know, put 45 points on USC. Here was Jonathan Smith in the locker room. I think sometimes we don't get to hear these guys this way, or maybe they don't want us to hear them this way. But here's Jonathan Smith in the locker room. Hey, you earned this. You guys earned this. But hear this. We ain't done yet. He's in that middle of that scrum in the locker room leading those guys on that song. And I love that we get moments like that because I think we get to see some of these leaders maybe like we don't get to see them otherwise. Mm, That's good. I like that. I like that I hear that because, you know, obviously that Jonathan Smith that's in the locker room with his guys is a much different Jonathan Smith that is doing a radio interview with Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, give me a break. When he comes on to do the radio interview, my job, my whole job is to try to draw him out. (laughs) And his whole job is 
Don't give Boise State anything to talk about. Don't give them any bulletin board material. Don't say anything. You know, so it is a real tug of war that is going on. And I enjoy that because that's part of my job is to draw him out and get him talking about the stadium and the atmosphere and, you know, sort of the preparations. But he's going to come on every week with us. We'll get Dan Lanning on every week as well. I want you to leave it here. We have Punch It Audio coming up. Big moves in the NBA. Big contract in the NFL. Plus a whole bunch of college football to talk about. Leave it here. You got the BFT from Atlanta. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.